All right, well, let's pray. We'll get into the Word today, some serious Word. Father, we thank You today for who You are. Thank You for what You're doing in our hearts and in our lives in this church. Lord, not just the church, but God, in our individual families. Lord, thank You, thank You, thank You for who You are and what You're doing. You're such an awesome Father. What a wonderful, wonderful provider You are for us. You're such a good God. Father, we thank You for all of Your blessings. Lord Jesus, thank You for dying on the cross for our sins. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank You, thank You, thank You for Your blood that was shed for us. Oh, we honor you today. Now, Father, I ask you today that you'd give us eyes to see, hearts, hearts to receive, and ears to hear the things that you have for us this particular Sunday. God, there's not one person that came through these doors today or tuned in online. God, just by happenstance, God, you knew they would be here today. You knew they would be tuned in today. So, Father, open our hearts. Lord, I thank you for grace deposits from the Holy Spirit. Father, and I also thank you that every bondage, every addiction, every stronghold is broken off of our lives this day because of the finished work that Jesus Christ did over 2,000 years ago on Calvary. He said, it is finished. He came to set us free. So we choose as an act of our will to walk in that set freedness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you ready? Are you ready for some serious word today? I want you to hold on to your seat to get ready to hear from the great Apostle Paul. Apostle of the Lord today. Now let me ask you this. Who, again, who did Paul, who is he writing to here in the book of Ephesians? Who is he writing to? Is Paul writing to the city uh, of Ephesus? No, he wasn't. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And this was a letter, we believe was a circular letter that will, goes to the church of Ephesus, but it will be spread around to other, other local churches around there. But again, he's writing, he's writing this to these Christians that had very possibly had just turned to Christ living in a very notoriously sinful city. This Ephesus was a great, it was a large city. I can kind of compare it to other than it, it was on a coast in Las Vegas, hidden, but it's kind of that, that kind of that, you know, sin city, you know, kind of what goes to Vegas, stays in Vegas. There's a lot of, a lot of that stuff kind of going on. And I think what Paul writes here, uh, not just to the church at Ephesus and, or to the churches of Galatia, that's a region, it wasn't the church of Galatia, it was a region of Galatia, so that was several churches, to the Colossian church, to uh, Philippian church, uh, from Philippi, um, T- Timothy, who I think later was the, the pastor here in Ephesus. He writes letters, he says, Paul is not addressing, he's not addressing a friendly uh, seeker-friendly church. And I think that we should, we should be, a, we want people, we want people that are, that are searching and, and crying out to God and have needs in their life, and, and we don't want to dumb down the gospel just so that they'll feel comfortable. But I want you to listen to how Paul, listen to the, the heart of Paul in this today. Um, <clears throat> I would say that probably that most of you in here today, if not, if not all of you, are probably probably familiar with some prominent minister uh, at some point um, that has succumbed to sensual uh, lust and, and, um, and uh, uh, marital, marital affair. Uh, again, most of us have, have heard, heard, of the, heard of those things, out, sex outside of marriage with someone. Um, these stories, all of those, their stories and our stories all the time can always fall into a category called the cookie jar syndrome. The cookie jar syndrome, and what that is, is a little a little boy's mother. One time, she cooked this great smelling batch of chocolate chip cookies, and she put them in a cookie jar. And she told her son, "Now, son, don't you succumb to temptation, and don't you eat any of these cookies until after 
supper, okay? And he said, yes, mommy. And she went upstairs, was doing some things, and she, all of a sudden she heard, anybody here have a cookie jar? You notice you can hear those things. They're, I don't, they're just clang, 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 clang. So she could hear that cookie jar lid being moved around. And she said, son, he said, yes, ma'am. She said, what are you doing? He said, mom, my hand's in the cookie jar resisting temptation. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is, Temptation, when we're in it, is hard. I mean, when you're doing something that's the possibility of receiving temptation, again, it's something that, that's uh, it's not easy to, to overcome. The, the proverbial cookie jar are open all around us. Uh, the cookie jars in our culture today could be our computers, could be our phones, could still be the television. Uh, and if those are enough, billboards, magazines, going in stores, going in restaurants, now restaurants are restaurant bars. And I mean, there's all kind of temptation out there that could fit the cookie jar, cookie jar syndrome. In Proverbs chapter 7, it talks about a young man who was lacking sense and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I could see a young man like this being in the city of Ephesus and again, being known for what it was known for. Uh, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time on purpose, looking for something. And Proverbs chapter 7 says this, talking about the seductive uh, woman, says that she seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding towards the trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. It doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, keeping in mind, keeping, keeping your hand out of the cookie jar is a challenge that Paul addresses here in Ephesians chapter 5, starting here in, in, in verses 3 through 7. And uh, he jumps right into the fray, man. He's, he's in no uncertain terms. He doesn't begin, hey, guys, uh, I think it would be a good idea if you could avoid things that, are, that, are, that would possibly be tempting to you. He's, he's not like that. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Let, no, let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. I mean, that's just that's straight up right there. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, uh, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Verse 5 says this, You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. And the uh, kingdom of Christ and of God for a greedy person is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will, uh, the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Verse seven, don't participate in any of these things that these people do. Again, Paul is hitting this debase uh, culture of Ephesus, I mean, right in the face. Remember, many of these Christians, many of these people that Paul is talking to, possibly just got saved recently out of this culture that Ephesus, again, is known for. You know, today's philosophy and, and culture of the church, it says, you know, don't be too hard on people, or else you'll push them back into where they came from, you know, back into the things of the world. But Paul doesn't, he doesn't believe that. He says, let there be no sexually immorality, impurity, or greed among you. And you've heard me say this recently and, and maybe several times, but I'm telling you, just, you know, just saying a, a, a sinner's prayer, somebody leads you in a sinner's prayer, that doesn't necessarily save you. I believe there will be millions of people that will end up in hell because they prayed a sinner's prayer, and that's all that they did. 
The Bible doesn't say, it, when it says, you know, when we, a, a pastor, and I've led people in, in, into, a, into a sinner's prayer before, and I believe if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer with all of your heart, I do believe that you get born again. But I think a lot of people that pray that prayer, they just don't want to go to hell. They're afraid, they're fearful, they've heard something, they saw something, they know Jesus, maybe they've heard Jesus is coming back, they don't want to go to hell, so I believe in Jesus. Did you know that one-third of the angels that fell with Lucifer believed in Jesus? They believe him more than we do. They, they experienced him. They knew him in heaven, but yet they fell. So just believing in him is not enough. Believing, if you do it Bible terms, believing means to rely on, to put our trust in him. If we're believing in that way, then yes, that we're born again. So again, people that just repeat a prayer, is, is, that's not, that doesn't get us to heaven. It's again, it's, it's doing these things that Paul tells us or not doing these things. Listen, there's a, there's a cost there's a cost to being a follower of Christ. Now, I don't know, whatever kind of Bible you have, uh, I have several different translations, New Living, uh, Revised Standard Version, NIV, English Standard Version. It goes on and on. I've got one Bible that in itself has 26 different translations in it. But, uh, you know, these things, uh, the Bible was uh, translated. And for example, in a lot of times there's headings in your Bible within a chapter. Um, uh Say, let me give you an example. In Luke, Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 15, uh, it's, it talks about the parable of the lost sheep. So there's a heading in there. Now the writer uh, of, of this, um, Matthew or Luke, he didn't, he didn't put that in there. The translators put that in there. Do you understand what I'm saying? And again, the translators broke these up into chapters and verses. And I'm glad that they did because it makes it easier to find these things, right? To find the scriptures that we're looking for. But for example, some of the headings and in, in, in over um, in, in my, my Bible, this is a uh, New King James. This is a New King James. In Luke chapter uh, 14, Luke chapter 14, right before verse 25, it gives this heading, leaving all to follow Christ. Leaving all to follow Christ. The NIV says this, the cost of being a disciple. The New Revised Standard Version says the cost of discipleship. Now, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this in Luke 14. This is Jesus talking, Luke 14, verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? In other words, if you're going to build a house, you're going to build a building, you want to make sure that you've got the money to complete the building. See whether he has enough to finish it. Verse 29 says, Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him. And Jesus is talking about this, about becoming a disciple. Make sure that you're, you're ready. Do you know what you're, you're, you're signing up for? To become a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a cost to becoming a disciple. There's no cost for saying the sinner's prayer. Jesus paid all the price. He did everything. He took our sins and he went to the cross. He nailed them. All of our sins have been paid for. Thank God for, his, for the blood of Jesus Christ. But there... Jesus said the Great Commission is what? Go into all the world and make converts. No, not really. Go into all the world and make, make what? Disciples. Disciples. I knew you had the right answer. <laughs> but that's what we think sometimes. We think it's just going to get, just see how many people we can say the sinner's prayer for. But that's just, he wants us to be disciples, followers, uh, followers of Jesus Christ. Um, so again, there was something that I heard uh, a while back. I heard this many years ago. And I don't, honestly, I'll tell you straight up, I don't know if it's true or not. It sounded good. 
Or to me, the first time I heard it, I didn't think it sounded good. But the later I thought it, well, that, that's brilliant if, if that's the case. And it had to do with this, with Alice Cooper. How many of you know who Alice Cooper is? He's a rock and roller, big, you know, big in the 70s, six, six, maybe even 60s, 70s, 80s, Alice Cooper. He was a rocker. When he, when he got born again, I, I, I found this out, that his father was a, was a pastor. But when he gave his heart to the Lord after becoming a, a, this rocker, the man who led him to the Lord, I don't know if it was his pastor or, or just an, another Christian, told him, says, don't tell anyone that you got saved for two years. And, uh, and I thought when I heard that at first, I thought, that's wrong. And look at how many people he could save if they knew that Alice Cooper got saved, how many rock and rollers he could minister to and things like this. But then I get, began to understand because of things just like this, because he knew that Alice Cooper was going to blow it, just like every one of us blow it. None of us, when we got saved, that we became perfect. Our striving, we're trying to become mature, just like Jesus Christ. He's our standard, but there's times when we blow it. And he knew Alice Cooper would. And he knew if he immediately goes out and starts telling people the first time we blow it, what do, what do Christians do? They're like flies on doo-doo. Yeah, get that, pic, get that image out of your head. And you know, something used to aggravate me. I had big feet. I guess I don't know, I must have had big feet all my life because when I played as a kid and I was barefooted, I've got a big toe that's about this long. I'm telling you, it is no kidding. My big toe is, it's, it, it is something to behold. I'll be up under the portico after today and I'll have my shoes off. If anybody wants to come out and see my big toes. I was running one time. I'm going off on a lot of different tangents here, but I was running one time stealing some apples and a car stopped. I don't know why the car stopped. It wasn't their apples, but they stopped and I ran. And I hit a sewer grate sticking up in the yard at full force, boom, and did a complete flip. Well, I broke that big toe and that's now it's about this long. I broke that thing in three places. It was hard. And there's nothing you can do to set a big toe. It was just, it was just, it was bad. So anyway, where was I going? You have no idea. Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper. Huh? Wait two years. Don't tell nobody. That's, that's, a, that's some good, that's some good advice. Huh? Oh, flies on doo-doo, flies on doo-doo. That's it. That's the thing. Thank you. Flies on doo-doo. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you out of it. So, so here it was. I don't, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but, you know, I, I stubbed my toe a lot. And I used to, when I'd stub it, I'd, I'd get big hunks of skin just peel back and then you'd go swimming and that big hunk of skin is just flapping it just hurt it just hurt but anyway here's my point here's my point this is i'm trying to get you away from flies on doo-doo okay but did you ever notice this when you cut your foot you stubbed your toe you cut yourself gnats come and they just they just all in it that's the way christians are sometimes they're like no doo-doo and they're they're like flies that come into a hurt, that comes into a wound. Instead of being a healing ointment and praying and helping that thing, they just got to get all in it. And it's just to me gross sitting down. I mean, I, I couldn't feel the gnat, but I could see about 20 of them on there. It just got on my nerves. So again, I thought about that, that, that advice that he gave Alice Cooper not to go and tell anybody for, for about two years. Give him time to get strong. And then I guess when, when, when I saw, you know, a few years ago, Justin Bieber got saved, and his pastor, uh, pastor to the stars, they call him, uh, what, huh? Paul Newman? Carl. Carl, Carl Lentz, that's right, you're right. Paul Newman, I thought Paul Newman wasn't a pastor. 
So Carl Lentz, his pastor, you know, he's all photo ops and stuff like this. He goes to bars with him and partied with him and stuff like this. By the way, Carl Lentz is not in the ministry anymore. I don't know why. But uh, he, 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 you know, he's taking all these pictures. And sure enough, as soon as Justin Bieber, he, he's going to make a mistake. He doesn't do something. He writes a song. He performs an act on, on, uh, on things. People are going to, what do they do? They pound on Justin Bieber. He's a baby, baby Christian. If he got saved at all, he was a baby Christian. Alice Cooper was a baby Christian. Again, so becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, know that there's a cost to it. There's a cost to becoming that. Paul says in verse 4 that talking and joking about sexual immorality is out of place in the life of a Christ follower. One One thing for certain, dirty talk means dirty heart. Dirty talk means dirty heart. Listen to what Jesus said in, in Matthew or Mark chapter 7. For, says, from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Verse 23, all of these vile things come from within, and they are what defile us. So again, Paul says there that we shouldn't, we shouldn't talk. We shouldn't be telling dirty jokes. We shouldn't, shouldn't talk coarse, uh, talk like that. So why is Paul so strong? Why do you think he's so strong in this? Why was he so more seeker-friendly and not wanting to thend people off? Verse seven gives us, or verse five gives us the answer. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God of Christ. They will go to hell. And Paul knew that. Paul wasn't in this thing for the money. He was, he was in it because he loved people. He wanted people to become born again, so he told them the truth about here's what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And this is why I'm telling you, I believe that the book of Ephesians is one of the best books a new believer can get and read. I know the book of John is good and one of the Gospels is good, but, but here Paul is laying it out. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And this is consistent with what Paul wrote to other, in his other letters to the church at Corinth, to the church at Philippi, those other letters that I mentioned earlier. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21, uh, in John's, John's first epistle, not the gospel of John, but the epistle of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, that's his epistles. In the first one in chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, if you're writing, because these won't be up on the screen, if you want those again, I'll give them to you right quick. For those of you that want to do further study, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, remember, write this, the, the numbers down first, 6, 9 through 10, 1 Corinthians. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And then over in John's first epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 through the first part of verse 10. And again, it won't be up on the screen. It's not on, the, on your app. But let me, just, let me just read this just a little bit. Uh, this is uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, um, revelries, not rivalries. That'd be North Carolina and Duke, right? This is not, not the same thing. Verse 21, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, the list could go on and on. And things like this. He says, I warn you as I've warned you before, and those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And one more, again, let me, let me mention that one in 1 Corinthians. Or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, or men who practice homosexuality. We knew that they weren't going to inherit eternal life, didn't we? 
We knew the homosexuals weren't going to inherit a life. Ah, but you know, there's another, other people in the same list that we forget to mention. You know, the greedy, the thieves, the drunkards, the revelers, the, the right revelers, uh, uh, swindlers. They won't inherit the kingdom of God either. We always focus on that one, that one area, but there's a lot of other people. The adulterers, it says here, will not inherit the kingdom, kingdom of God. Yeah, them too. Yeah, let's see, so, so this, the scripture, my point in reading you that and telling you the scripture is in concert together. It, 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 it's here, no practicing sinner, no practicing sinner, no unrepentant sens, uh, sensualist, that is, that's a person that's devoted to physical or, and especially sexual pleasure, uh, no practice ha- will have eternal life. Now here's the question, do some Christians fall in these areas? Yeah, they do. They do, but listen, but they can repent and they can choose not to persist in those things. First John 1 John 1.9, He's faithful and just to forgive us. He, that verse is written to Christians. We're, we're going to blow it. We're gonna, but again, we don't have to, well, this is the way. Uh, no, you don't have to. Repent and change. Repent means to change your mind. You know, um, I remember a story that, that uh, Kenneth Hagin told one time. And... Uh, it was a man that he was praying for in, in, in the hospital. He was really dying. And uh, he went to pray for him, and he laid his hands on him. And when he started praying for him, he said he closed his eyes, and he started praying you know, for God's healing power, and he felt somebody grab his hand and take, take his hand off. And he opened his eyes, looked, looked around, and, and like, who did that? You know? And he kept praying, and he put his hand back on, closed his eyes, and, and prayed again, continued praying. And again, he felt somebody take his hand off. Again, he... It was so real to him that he looked around to see who was doing that. The man was sitting there with his eyes closed, so it wasn't him. So the third time, he keeps his eyes open, and he's praying for the man's healing. And the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, don't pray for him. He's going to die. I've been waiting on him to judge himself for 30 years, and he's never lived right. He's never lived right over three. It was either three weeks or three months at a time. But that told me something. There was at least a period in there in between those three weeks. He was trying. He was trying to get victory, but this thing, he just, he just never did get victory over, but he was trying to. And he said, he said he's never lived right over three years. He, won't, he has not judged himself and, won't, and, he, and has never lived right over three months. And then he says, but tell him, I will pray for him and fill him with the Holy Spirit, and his latter days will be better than his first. And he prayed for him, and he began speaking in tongues. They said he prayed in tongues for three days. For three days, and I don't mean I don't think that's 24 hours a day, but for three days he just was praying in tongues, praying in tongues. You know what? That wasn't God's best, was it? But it sure beat going to hell. I mean, think of God's mercy. 30 years, 30 years God's waiting on him to judge himself. God's mercy is amazing. It's amazing. But you know that that list of all of those things that, that damn us to an eternity of hell in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to what it ends with. Again, remember this. It says, uh, it, it, verse 10 said this, Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But thank God it didn't stop there. The very next verse were, And such were some of you. And such were some of you. And such were some of me. But God. But God. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His mercy. Listen, there's no doubt that there's open cookie jars all around us. And we see people that are, that are in those cookie jars. We see people walking around with fistful of cookies, of temptation that they've yielded to. And we see the misery uh, in their lives. 
Well, here's a question. What do, you, what do we do with these cookie jars? What do we do with all of these open cookie jars? And what do we do with these people that are walking around with cookies? The answer is found in verse 7. Here it is. There's two things we can do. Number one is in verse 7. It says, don't participate with them in these things. Verse 7 says, don't participate in the things that people do. And if they're believers, we should reprove them and admonish them to repent and come back to God. That's what we should do. We should not participate with them. Just make it say, I'm not going to uh, participate with them. Another thing that we can do is uh, in first chapter, I mean, not the first chapter, the first two verses in Ephesians chapter 5. We didn't read those. We started out with verse 3. So let's go back to, to, uh, to verse 1. It says, be, therefore, be imitators of God. Imitate God and walk in the love of Christ. So again, don't participate with them and be an imitator of God. That's how we can avoid doing, doing those things. Here's a great, here's a great uh, verse to, to memorize. Just a great verse to memorize. Put this on your refrigerator. Put this somewhere until you get it down. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation or no cookie jar has overtaken you that is common to man. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God will not let me be tempted beyond my ability. I just, I just couldn't stop. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may receive, that you may be able to endure it. We don't have to give in. We don't have to be weak. Remember, Jesus said it is imperative. He told the disciples, it's imperative that I go away. He says, because if I don't go away, I, I can't send the comforter. I can't send you someone else. And that's the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says in John 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you. Now notice this. He dwells. He's talking to His disciples. He dwells with you and will be in you. He wasn't in them yet because Jesus had not died, had not resurrected, and the promise has not come yet. But when Jesus died and rose again and appeared to them in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says, and he breathed on them after he showed them his nail prints and he taught them some things. He, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, he could have said this, receive the promise that I told you about that was going to be in you. And he breathed on them, much like when God breathed in Adam. He breathed, he made him out of dirt. He, he breathed in him and Adam became a living being. When Jesus breathed on those disciples there in John chapter 20, verse 22, they became born again. They became spiritually alive. So again, verse 26, but the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. But again, let's be honest, there's most people are not looking for endurance, they're looking for indulgence. That's so true. They want some cookies, my friend. But Paul makes a, I think makes a pretty eye-opening statement in these next two verses in the chapter in uh, chapter five there, verse eight and nine. Verse nine, now the New American Standard says this: you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. You are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Well, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, it says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. So that would indicate to us that when we get, when we get born again, we become members of God's own family and we begin to take on God's characteristics. He is light, we become light. In Matthew 5, in the great sermon on the mount, Jesus says, you are. He's talking to these disciples. John chapter 5, he had just called these disciples. And they were anything but light. Peter was still rough as a, as a snake skin. I mean, he was, oof. And uh, he says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That was a prophetic word that Jesus was speaking over them. So listen, we go from creatures of darkness to being creatures, creatures of light. This transformation should change the way that we live. It should, in other words, it should alter our behavior. And for verse 9 again, the fruit of, of goodness and righteousness and truth. Let me talk just a little bit about, about each one of those again. We walk in goodness in our relationships with other people. We walk in goodness. We look for ways. We look for ways now because we're born again. We look for ways to be a blessing to other people, to help them in their walk. Or if they don't have a walk, to help them find a walk. We become a blessing to other people because of the goodness. We begin to walk in righteousness in our relationship with God. And, and being honest and open is doing good works. Being honest and open and uh, it's doing good works. And we don't go along. We don't just go along with whatever culture thinks is, well, this is popular. This is good with culture. No, we walk in righteousness because we are His righteousness. And thirdly, we begin to walk in truth with ourselves. Walk in truth with ourselves, walking in integrity, making sure that our outward persona reflects our inward person. There's a, there's a, a, a scripture in, in Psalms chapter 15, uh, and it says this in, in the message. I like the way it says this. It says, Lord, who gets to have dinner at your house? Who gets invited to your table? And then he tells, you know, he that has clean hands and a pure heart. And I like down at, at verse 4, the second part of verse 4, at the New Living Translation, it says this. He says, this is one of the people who, who get to have dinner at his house. Who get invited to the Lord's table? The person who keeps their promises even when it hurts. Now, the people that are, that are they're a man or a woman of their word... If they gave their commitment, if they, and I honestly believe that, that people know this verse, and that's a lot of times the reason people don't want to commit. Because <laughs> now I'm not held to anything. But God wants us, He wants us to do good things. He wants us to be involved. He wants us to give our word. Because I'm telling you what, we sure stand out. We sure stand out when there are people that say they'll do things, although they give their word, but they never follow through. You know, these things, when these things are evident in our lives, people will recognize that there's something different about us. They'll recognize, they'll, they'll recognize that. You know, when Paula was, was in high school, she went to her high school years in Australia. And uh, so, you know, she was, uh, she was called, her name was Paula Hankins. Her maiden name was Hankins. And they called her in high school, they called her uh, Hank the Yank. Uh, because in Australia, anybody that's from America is a Yankee. They just need to be educated. But that's not true. But they called, they called her Hank the Yank. And the thing is, Paula, they, you know, many of her friends, they knew that, that she was a, uh, a pastor's daughter. Uh, her parents were pastors, and that would make her a pastor's daughter. And um, I just said that twice. Did you catch that? And, um, and she was the children's pastor and the worship leader there at the church. So she's very involved in the church. And she was, she was just a good girl. She was just a godly girl. And uh, so she didn't participate in a lot of things that some of the other students did, and people that she knew, and they knew her. Uh, and, but it was odd that when they would go through difficult things, like this one girl in particular, Paula, 
told me about one time that uh, her parents were going through a divorce and it was very difficult, very hard on her and she was crying and upset. And she came to Hank the Yank uh, because they knew, she knew something about Paula and she wasn't the only one, but there was different ones when they were going through something, they knew who to go to. When we're talking about goodness and righteousness, when we walk in truth, we walk in integrity, we're people of our word, people recognize that. And when they, they, they'll come up to something and you'll be the one that they come to. Looking at, at verse 11 and, and 13, we see that Paul is telling the church not to act like, not to imitate the world. It says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when, it, when everything, when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. Again, notice that Paul, Paul isn't saying, don't be around sinners. If that was the case, why would we need to be lights? Who are we lights for? Lights for ourselves? If this is the brightest that we shine is when we come in here to church, this, we've, we've missed a purpose. We're, to be a, we're lights in darkness in the world, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, wherever we are, there's darkness. We are the light in those, in those places. One of my favorite passages uh, out of the Message Bible is, is, uh, is the scripture Paul is talking and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23. Again, 1 Corinthians verse 9, 9, 19 through 23 at the Message Bible. And here's what he says. Even though I am free of the demands and the expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and to all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralist, loose-living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. In other words, on and on and on. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I became just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I didn't want, I did all this because of the message, because of the gospel. I didn't just, I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to get in on it. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Don't misunderstand again what the message translation is saying here. He's not saying, Paul's not saying, I became an alcoholic to win the alcoholics. I became an adulterer to win the adulterers. Again, he said, he said, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings. We all have a plumb line. This is my plumb line. This is why, this is the word of God. And I kept that. But I tried to understand things from their perspective and be able to talk to them and share things with them. Remember Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Take no part of the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Listen, I want to I emphasize this. I want to emphasize this because there will be people that will say that the way to win an unbeliever, uh, the way to win an unbeliever is to associate them and do what they do. That can't be true. Listen to what uh, Ephesians 5.14 says. For anything that becomes visible is light. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Verse 14 seems to indicate, it quotes a little bit of Isaiah 60, but it's not, it's not the total from there. So I don't know if the, the, Paul was quoting from something else, but again, he's talking about it. It indicates the need for carnal believers uh, to, to rise up. For carnal believers, the encouragement to, to raise from the dead, to raise from the dead, the dead is being unbelievers. So that's what he's saying here. Uh, it's much like what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, remember, he said to the Corinthian believers, he said, I was with you, I think it was four years ago, he was with them. He said, I couldn't address you as spiritual. He says, because there was so much envying and strife and jealousy. He said, you were acting like mere men. In other words, mere men meant you're acting like unbelievers. And I couldn't give you the meat of God's Word. And he said, I'm still not able to give you the meat of the, God's Word because you're still acting like unsaved people. So that's what, what Paul is saying here in verse 11 is, is rise up, come up from among, come out from among unbelievers, come out from among them, be different. Here's the heading. And remember, I talked about headings in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 20. It says, living by the Spirit's power. And verse, uh, verse 15 says this, Ephesians 5, 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand that the Lord understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. It's never God's will for a Christian to be drunk. Don't be drunk with wine. And notice he didn't say don't drink the wine. He said don't get drunk with it. It's never God's will. It's never God's will for Christians to be drunk because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This especially needed to be said in Ephesus where Paul again was writing it because it was the heart of wine country and overindulgence was a common common problem there. The, the wine god ba uh, Bacchus, the wine god Bacchus, he dominated the lives of many in the church many of the church in Ephesus, and I think he still does to this day. Uh, you know, I mentioned before about, at the beginning of the message, about ministers that had fallen into uh, sensuality and fallen into uh, sex outside of marriage and, uh, and adultery. And uh, it's ironic, I think, that in most of those cases, not every one of them, but in most of those cases, alcohol was a problem as well. It's interesting how those two oftentimes find themselves together. One of the ministers that fell said this, alcohol went from a want to to a need to. And he recognized it, it, it destroyed his life and destroyed his ministry. He's, he's coming back now and he's being restored and that's a great thing. Listen, but Paul counters drunkenness with verse 18. He says, don't get drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need, you need to understand this about it. Four things. Number one is this. It's a command, not a suggestion. It's not, well, some of you, no, 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 be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's not free to, I can just ignore it if I want to. Number two is this. It's a plural, it's a plural command. It's for the whole church, not just a few, not just the elite, not just those who are called to the, to the full-time ministry. We're all called the full-time ministry, every one of us. Number three is it's passive. It's a passive command. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. He's the one that fills you. Number four is this. It's a present tense command. It's a continuous feeling. It's not a one-time event. It's every day being filled with the Spirit. In fact, if we, where it says be filled with the Spirit, it's actually translated in the Greek. It's be being filled. It's a continual continual feeling. So remember remember what we've said. Chapters 1 through 3, they're, they're Christian doctrine, and now we're in 4 through 6, and it's about Christian's duty. And these last several verses in chapter 5, uh, and really we could go into chapter 6 all the way through verse 9, because it kind of covers the same topic, but we're going to stop it. We're going to stop at the end of uh, 
chapter 5. We'll get into chapter 6 next week and we'll finish up Ephesians. But look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Verse 21, and this is to verse 22, you'll see is, is the man's, the man's favorite verse in the Bible. In fact, it's the only verse some men know in the Bible. And further, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. He's talking to everybody. Men, women, boys, girls, submit to one to another. Verse 22, wives, <clears throat> wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of His body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, you wives should submit to your, to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed her by the cleansing of the water, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ uh, cares for the church. And we are members of His body. As the, as the Scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And again, notice in verse 21, this doesn't come across to me at all as a suggestion. Uh, I recommend, I think it would be good if, if we would all submit one to another. No, it's a command, submit one to another. In other words, basically it's telling us to prefer. Prefer other people over ourselves. The word submit in our culture is an incendiary, it's provocative, it provokes strong reaction, especially when it's spoken of in the, in the, marriage, in the marriage union. Uh, many would give synonyms to sub, the word submit to like oppression, uh, dominance, but it's only because this text, this passage has been perverted and abused by disordered and sinful men. That's true. Men who have a minuscule, who have a minuscule understanding of the word seem to know this passage very well and can quote it at just beep. What's that verse? Beep. Says, wife submit, woman submit, woman submit to me, woman submit to me. Listen, verses 18 through 21 is one thought. It's one thought in chapter 5, and it begins with verse 18. It's 18, 19, 20, 21. So what's that? 18, 19, 20, 21. Four verses. It's all one thought. It's like a run-on sentence here. And it begins with verse 18, which is a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And four things goes with that. Four things goes with that Holy Spirit. In verse 19, we see uh, two, and verse 20 and verse 21. In the first one, we see speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This means when you're in Lowe's or Home Depot or something, just sing hot psalms and, and hymns and sing spiritual songs. That's not what this is talking about. But... To the Lord, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all things that God does. Why thank Him for all things? Because all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. All things work together. Even the bad things can work together if we're called according to His purpose and we love God. And the fourth thing is this. Verse 21, submitting one to another in the fear of God. Listen, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, that means husbands, wives, parents, children, bondservants, masters, 
will defer to and serve one another. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, we should defer and serve one another. So what's the biblical headship? What is biblical headship? And in, in this case, what's biblical headship in marriage? The answer is servant leadership. Submission or headship is servant leadership. Verse 23 says, Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of His body. He's the Savior of the body, which is the church. Which follows the analogy of the husband is to exercise headship with a Savior-style servant leadership in the home. Meaning, meaning that he must lead with the kind of love that is willing to die. Still want to be the head? <laughs> Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. And those who think that, that headship gives them the license to dominate and to lord over people, uh, as, as they're His subjects, they are miles and miles away from the definition of biblical headship. Uh, in 1943, in a German prison, there was a man by the name of... Uh, What's his name? A bon, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. How many have ever heard of him? He's got some great, great material out there. And uh, he wrote from a prison, he wrote a sermon for a friend of his. And I'm going to read just a portion of, of that sermon. And this was towards the end of, his, of, the, of the message of, of his sermon. He said, now when, the husband, now when the husband is called the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, something of divine splendor is reflected in our earthly relationship. And this reflection, we should recognize and honor. The dignity that is here ascribed to the man lies not in any capabilities or qualities of his own, but in the office conferred on him by his marriage. The wife should see her husband clothed in his dignity, but for him, it is he who is responsible for his wife, for their marriage, and for their home. On him falls the care, the protection of his family. He represents it to the outside world. He is a mainstay and comfort. He is the master of the house who exhorts, helps, comforts, and stands before God. The husband, lo the loving husband, the loving husband is like Christ. The loving husband is acting like Christ. The submissive wife is his glorious church. What a mystery, what a marvel is the marriage union. How it is such a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. Ephesians is a great, great, great book for believers. Chapter 5, you know, there's different things. I would encourage you to have a reading list that you read in your, for your devotions. Have a, have, a, um, have, a, have a list of different things that, um, that you want to read or things that you have read or what, where you're going. But there should be things like Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, that we, we it's, on a, it's on a regular. We just need to be reminded of it. I mean continue not not every day but just from time to time come back and read ephesians ephesians chapter 5 ephesians chapter 4 read read the whole thing it's it's great and there's other great things like that that we need to like that that verse that we read about um uh the one about paul in the message bible becoming all things to all men that we may win them we want to get in on it we don't want to just be talking about it the gospel that is winning people to the lord amen let's all stand We're going to sing a song here in just a moment, but let's just get quiet for just a moment before the Lord.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, there's so many times that we just need to do that. We just need to get quiet before the Lord. So often in our prayer time when we go in with a list of petitions and that's, that's well within our rights and, and God tells us too to come boldly before the throne of grace to bring our petitions before Him. But again, prayer is communication with God. It's not a, it's not a monologue. It's not like us where we get up and we just talk to God. But it's a dialogue. It's where two people talk. And we need to hear God. We need to hear His voice talking back to us. We ask Him things and He'll tell us things. We, we, we read His Word and He... He gives us light into His Word. Remember this, remember that. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of us. And listening, listening to that is such an important part of our time with God. So Father, thank You today for Your Word. Thank You for these truths that the Holy Spirit moved on Paul to write to the church at Ephesus and really to the church here at City Gate Church as well. God, we endeavor, God, to walk in accordance with Your Word. We endeavor to walk, God, on the call that You have on our lives. We bless you today. We honor you. We honor you as our Heavenly Father. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Listen, if there's anyone here today, and when I say this, that you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, that has nothing to do really with coming to church. Because just because you come to church doesn't make Him the Lord of your life. Doesn't make you a disciple. Doesn't make you a follower of Christ. Coming to church is a, is a really good thing to do. It'll help you grow in hearing words like this here being uh, admonished through the scripture helps us in our walk. But what makes us uh, followers of Christ, again, is confessing him before him, confessing our sins and repenting. Repenting means a changing of the heart, changing of the mind. And it means going in the opposite direction. It doesn't mean that we'll be perfect from then on, but we're striving to. We're striving to live our life and come to the full maturity. As it said, we saw last week in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, chapter 4, uh, verse 11 and 12, and down in verse 15, it says that our coming to the full maturity of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. But the way that we become followers of Jesus Christ is by yielding our lives to Him, by beginning to be aware of those, those admonitions and scriptures that we read today in, in uh, chapter 5, not doing these things. By not doing those things doesn't make us born again. It doesn't make us a follower of Christ, but it's just evidence of it. You shall know a tree by its fruit. You don't understand what I'm saying? Because there's, there's good people. They don't do those things. They, they, they've got a, a good marriage. They treat their wife and their kids. They're good, but they're, they're just not born again. They've never turned their life over to the Lord. So we don't go to heaven because we're good, because we don't do things. We go to heaven because we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in His death, burial, and His resurrection. And we've made Him the Lord of our life. So if you're in here and you've never made, if you're watching us online, you've never made Him the Lord of your life, the governor, the one who, who literally calls the shots. And when, when the Holy Spirit who comes on the inside of us tells us not to do things, and we have that, what we call a check in our spirit. There's something, something didn't feel right about that. So I'm not going to do that. You know, when you tell a lie and there's something that bothers you, you know, and you go back and you tell the person, you know what, I, I said something that wasn't true, and I apologize for that. But first we told God we're sorry to Him. So again, it's important again that we listen to the Holy Spirit. 
because he's in us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So if you've never done that, if you've never really turned over the reins of your life, I encourage you to do that. And as we said today, Jesus said, count the cost. There's a cost in it. There's a cost of discipleship. And it's just basically turning our life over. And when he says, don't do this, don't do this, we shouldn't do this. And we see a lot of that like we've seen today in Scripture. I'm not going to do that because that's not becoming of a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So Father, today I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room or anyone listening online today, they say that I'm ready, I've considered the cost, and I want to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So Father, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Help me. Help me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.